really you have to approach them with empathy. Not everybody wants to be homeless, and some, some do because of maybe it's PTSD or anxiety or a mental health issue. So it's basically approaching them with respect, with dignity, giving them their space, and asking them if they're willing to have that conversation. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Yvonne Raymer. Yvonne, along with Morgan Hackle, are the featured guests in Episode 4, Season 4 of YXC Underground. When we think of the Saskatoon Fire Department, our minds immediately go to firefighters responding to a fire or perhaps an accident in the community. But Assistant Chief Yvonne Raymer and Chief Morgan Hackle are proud of the work the department is doing when it comes to helping our most vulnerable population who are struggling with homelessness, addiction and mental health issues. We explore a different side of the Saskatoon Fire Department in this episode of YXE Underground. Station number one on Ottawa South is the headquarters for the Saskatoon Fire Department. It houses 20 firefighters and fire paramedics, three fire engines, and it's where I was able to speak with Assistant Chief Yvonne Raymer and Chief Morgan Hackle. Yvonne and Morgan have worked with the department for many years. Yvonne worked as a dispatcher and a fire inspector before becoming the first female in the history of the Saskatoon Fire Department to receive the appointment of a Chief Officer rank in March of 2020. Morgan was a firefighter for 26 years before becoming fire chief in 2015. Both understand the challenges our community is currently facing when it comes to issues like homelessness and addiction, and they are working directly with our vulnerable population to make a difference. Yvonne is leading a unique team within the fire department called the Community Risk Reduction Team. Now, this team works closely with other community organizations to make sure people who need help finding safe housing or mental health support do not fall through the cracks. You will hear Yvonne talk more about the work that her team is doing in the community and why it's so important in this episode. And you'll hear Morgan explain why Saskatoon needed a new approach to combat homelessness. One quick note before we begin, about five minutes into our conversation, station number one received an emergency call of a motor vehicle accident and snapped into action. You will hear alarms and sirens and one slightly nervous podcast host as we were we were out in the action, but I kept it in this episode as I hope it really takes you inside the fire station while you're listening. Okay, on to the conversation. I started by asking Yvonne how the fire department is tackling the issue of homelessness in Saskatoon. So I guess we could go back in history to city centre when we had to close that and the impact to over 150 people. And then we can move forward to Prairie Heights. So the one thing as a fire service, we've always had closures. We've always interacted with people who had inadequate and unsafe housing and who maybe were housing outside inappropriately with unsafe heating sources. So we started to ask ourselves, what can we do? We interact with these people daily and what can we do better? So one of the things we decided to do was especially during this year when homelessness has become such an issue that we can offer support, build trust and relationships. We already have our connections and relationships to other agencies, but we can do better. We can engage them more. So what we're doing now is anytime we get a report of an encampment, so in the last three weeks, we've actually had 75 interactions with homeless people, and it's starting to build that conversation about why are you homeless, what are your circumstances, and how can we support? So we've got outreach with Soweto Totem, Comfy, 
We connect them to Ministry of Social Services with SHA, whether it's a public health inspector, a nurse, mental health and addictions, and then we offer that support. What we don't want to do is take away their dignity and their respect, so we don't want to just rip out their inappropriate housing. We actually want to work with them about where can we go, what are the next steps. So as an example, we're at Lighthouse right now. There's two individuals that we're dealing with, and we're looking to see how can we support, how can we move you to a different location, somewhere that's safer, and what kind of supports do you need? Do you need meal, do you need clothing, housing, and then make those connections. Um, so maybe, like, like you said, it's happening right now at the, at the Lighthouse. Um, what, what are those conversations like, Ivana, in terms of not only discussing the, sort of the topics, but just like the, the tone of the conversations? What, what are they like? Really, you have to approach them with empathy. Not everybody wants to be homeless, and some, some do because of maybe it's PTSD or anxiety or a mental health issue. So it's basically approaching them with respect, with dignity, giving them their space, and asking them if they're willing to have that conversation. And then start asking about their needs, not telling them what they need, but asking what their needs are, and then offering those supports. You, you mentioned that, that you have you know, so many relationships already established with, with people in our community who, who are dealing with homeless um, challenges. But I, like I know for myself, um, when I think of homelessness in the city, I, my mind doesn't immediately go to the fire department. But how, how, like, how do you normally inter interact? And, and I guess, how do, you, how do those relationships start in the first place? So our connection to housing is through our property maintenance bylaw. So it basically has a minimum standard of what housing should look like. And so when somebody's in inadequate housing, and I'll give you an example of these encampments, we've had six fires because of inappropriate heat sources. And when the weather turns cold, they'll turn to vacant buildings, whether it's accessory buildings or houses or apartment buildings to be in the common area. Again, that's not the comforts that you and I deserve. That's the comforts that aren't being provided to them or they feel that is not available to them. So that connection to the property maintenance bylaw, instead of us displacing them and basically relocating them back into homelessness, that's where we can make those connections with other agencies to actually try to work towards getting them rehoused. That answer makes so much sense. As soon as you said that, I was like, ah, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Um, so when, when you're, you're having those, those conversations then, um, it, it, does it depend on, on the person or is, in general, is there an openness to, to working with, with you? So this is the surprising piece is everybody has been very respectful, very receptive. However, we are going just as fire personnel first so that we can be the first establishment of trust and build that relationship before we bring other agencies in so that they have dignity, it's maybe done discreetly, and that they can trust and have that relationship openly about what the circumstances are and if they're open to it. And we don't always hit it out of the park the first time. Sometimes it takes second or third visit before they'll really start to establish trust and really open up and really be offering, be open to the supports that we'll provide. Dignity, that's, that's such an, like, that's so important, isn't it? You and I, we like to be respected. We like to be treated with dignity. Everybody does, and everybody deserves that. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned some of the, the community partners. Um, how, how, do, how do you begin to establish those um, relationships? And then, and then how, do, how do they go forward? When, when you have, like, say, for example, with, um, with some of the, uh, the, the, the housing encampments that are happening, how, how do those relationships work, Yvonne? So we have an amazing emergency management team and framework. So what we did was we called what we call it EOC. So there's, it's basically a planning section chief, which is our director of emergency management. 
So she sort of facilitates, brings everybody to the table that needs to be to the table. Fire is the incident commander. And then we basically lay out what it is that we each can do as agencies, and then we establish procedures and put a process in place in order to be effective. And then it's just that communication is huge between agencies. Yeah, and, and that's something, um, you know, earlier in the season, we were looking at, at um, safe and affordable housing, and, and communication between organizations often came up uh, when I was speaking with those guests. And, and I think that's something that myself, I would just sort of take for granted, like, of course, you'll have those open lines of communication. But like, how, how important is that, Yvonne, to, to ensure that you're all going on the same, the same path or going the, in the right direction? It's vital, because if, if they fall out of that process, we created a gap, we created a barrier to having them be successfully rehoused. So it's key that we keep that line of communication open. So what we've started to do that's a little bit different is actually we've started to the firefighters, as well as our team here with fire prevention, has actually started capturing a benchmark of every interaction that we've had. We've actually tracked who they were referred to. And not that we get every detail of follow-up, but that we actually know that it was they didn't fall through the gap. Chief, may I ask you what's happening at the moment? Okay, just currently right now, engine 11, so our, our captain's truck here at station number one is responding to a motor vehicle collision. So um, that, that will be lights and sirens, of course, and we respond with our firefighter paramedics, uh, not just for the collision itself in terms of uh, dangerous, uh, any hazards and fluids for cleanup, but of course also the paramedics for the medical side. I have to tell you, this has never happened on, okay. in any of my interviews before. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, so it's interesting when we look at our data from 2017 to today, uh, we're gonna see about a 40% increase in our call volume for the frontline fire, firefighters, the, our fire apparatus. It's astounding. Uh, this year alone, it looks like we're going to be up close to 20% in call volume. So, um, you know, when we talk about all the proactive work that we're doing in Yvonne's area, our business is, is exponentially increasing across the community. Do you know why that is? You know, it, it, it's hard to say. So it's interesting. Early in the pandemic, uh, we saw uh, our call volumes actually level out and and kind of slow a little bit and I think if we all looked around the community at that time at the start of the pandemic our streets were not busy at all people were you know uh, whether working for from home not going out as much and you know trying to get an understanding of what this uh, pandemic really was and as we've started to adjust to the pandemic uh, our call volume has gone up and up it's it's just it's interesting uh, Saskatoon's a big city and so we have, uh, for emergency services, we have a, a big city, uh, um, you know, is, is it a concern? Maybe, because we're going to emergencies. But just with a big city, you're going to have uh, uh, continued growth in, in terms of emergency response. 
and it's kind of right across the board it's not just one type of incident over the other so whether it's medical calls motor, motor vehicle collisions uh, fires structure fires whatever it may be we're just seeing a steady growth yeah. um can, can i just um say thank you to both of you for like you were both so calm when that alarm, <laughs> that alarm went and like just slowly back over here and <laughs> thanks for being so calm yeah so for me you know uh chief raymer has always been on our prevention side of the business although she worked as a dispatcher so she has a great understanding of getting the trucks out the door and all the requirements of our dispatch center which is an integral part of our work but for me you know spending uh, close to 26 years in operation so as a firefighter and emergency medical technician and an officer and then a battalion chief uh, I, I guess I feel calm because uh, the thing inside I, my my energy's going because I'd love to jump on that fire truck. Well I appreciate the fact that you're still here talking with me but yeah. if, if you want to hop on the next one I, I yeah, won't blame okay. you. Okay maybe I will okay. maybe I will. Yeah, and on the flip side, I was actually just sorry I couldn't tell them where they needed to go. Oh. You know, there is there is a bit of when you're in that emergency front line to the front line, it's it's amazing work. This is this is just so cool. This has never happened <laughs> on a podcast. Um, sorry for my, yeah, that was just really neat to see. So thank you for being so calm with me. Um, so with, with then Yvonne, with with the work that that you're doing, is it a case where? Like we, we just saw, you know, um, your, your colleagues sort of rush out and, and off to a, an, an accident. How, how does it work then with, with your team in terms of, is it, I, I guess it's would more like a, a subtle approach or subdued approach in terms of going to places and speaking with people? So fire inspectors and investigators don't respond code red like the firefighters do. They don't have frontline apparatus that respond. But we do have investigators who may be called out in the middle of the night, whether it's um, due to unlawful entry into a vacant building that needs to be secured. It could be because we need to conduct a cause and origin fire investigation. And then during the day, it's all hands on deck with my team. It could be if anything going on in your district, we have fire bylaw inspectors, we have fire inspectors, we have fire investigators. So depending on the district and what's going on today, like the imminent risks, we prioritize our work, so anything that's priority one, we deal with it as soon as practical, which means you drop and you pivot and you respond to that. But we don't respond code red, we go code green. Okay. But it is an immediate response. Yeah. Um, with your team, and, and, and you've done such a wonderful job of explaining how just important communication skills are in, in, in your line of work. And I, I'm curious, as, as a communications person myself, like how, how do you... How do you train your team um, to not only be, you know, um, uh, empathetic and, and, and good speakers, but like listening as well? How, how do you train? You can't really train that. That's something that's built into us. But we do every week when we have our monthly meetings and our weekly meetings, respect, not just within the workplace, but also out in the community. We are very public facing. We do great work in the community. and. Reminding somebody, if you're not having the best day, I always say when you put on the uniform, you need to bring your best day to when somebody's having their worst day. And if you're not having your best day, then ask a colleague to respond instead. And we are a great team. Everybody knows what's going on in our community, in our districts, and what's going on with firefighters. So we're here to support. And it's just remembering that that's our first priority is to be supportive. I imagine the job is... There, there's there's stresses involved with it then it is how important is it to, for that kind of team morale and and to to lift each other up when 
when you do have those challenging days? Because I, I, I can only imagine, you know, there, there are some tough days for you and your team. Very tough days. Uh, you know, I'll say the fire crew called out one of our inspectors to sort of a, a different type of incident. And I got a phone call about 20 minutes into it said, I'm having difficulty sitting in a warm vehicle while this person is struggling to take support. So, you know, it's that mental health and wellness check-ins that we do with each other. And then it's, okay, go back and offer more support. And in the end, it ended up working out to that individual's favor. We managed to get them to trust us enough to offer support. But COVID hasn't helped either. COVID has had us separated firefighters. You'll see us all in masks. So mental health and wellness checks with everybody and being supportive has been really key, being patient, being kind to one another, and just knowing that this has just added an extra layer of complexities to a challenging job already. And then you're going out in the community and you're having challenging and difficult conversations, and yet there there has to be the distance and, and there has to be the, the mask involved. And Yeah, that's just, God, it's a challenging position you're in. Everybody within the fire service, we all serve the community. It is a challenge, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, Yvonne, I, I know um, before we started rolling, um, you you said you could tell stories for hours and hours, and so I, I won't I won't ask you for lots of stories. But I, I'm wondering if there has been, um, whether it's maybe in the last few months or in, in the last year, maybe a, a a story or a, a moment that sort of stands out in your mind in terms of of the work that you're doing and and maybe something where you were able to see like a a, a positive impact or maybe a, a, a good first step so i was just reminded about a month ago of the impact that we do have on community and it was around homelessness and it's it was out in my alley actually and a lady came and she said do you remember me i remember you and she wanted to talk about back about five years ago i had to close her house and i had supported her and got her into another location and unbeknownst to me, she's one of my neighbors. But we had a conversation about a sibling who is homeless and who has mental health and addiction issues. And she voiced her concerns. And I, I won't give the details of, of what she shared, but for me, it was impactful to realize the impact that we have and that it can come full circle and that they do remember if you were kind and passionate or if you were showing them the empathy and if they still have that trust in you that they'll still approach you and share their story with you to ask for support and help. So it just reminded me that every day we need to be aware of where we are and, and the impact we have. How, how did that make you feel when, when she was, <laughs> you just took a big breath? Yeah, yeah. It was devastating to hear her story, but at the end, after she had shared everything, could I solve her issue in that moment? No, but I just appreciated that she trusted me to go back to my team to offer supports and that we made that connection and that there is that trust in that relationship. That's, that's amazing and that must be so inspiring not only for yourself but then your colleagues as well to know that the work that you're doing years later um, you, you see the impact of it. I am pretty sure there isn't one SFD personnel who couldn't tell you those same similar stories. It's every day. It's we're in the community and we deal with people who are doing great and who are in great places in their lives and we deal with people who aren't and that need more support than they're the most vulnerable. So. You 
are listening to episode four, season four of Waxy Underground. My name is Eric Anderson, and my guests are Assistant Chief Yvonne Raymer and Chief Morgan Hackle of the Saskatoon Fire Department. You can follow and listen to YXC Underground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yxcunderground.com, or wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also find YXC Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is where you will see some lovely photos of Yvonne and Morgan taken by Saskatoon photographer Rana Andres. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. I had the pleasure of speaking with Chief Morgan Hackle several times during my days with CBC Radio. He is a kind and genuine man who really cares for his community. It was great reconnecting with him on the podcast and learning about the role he is playing with business leaders, city councillors and members of the provincial government to help with the homelessness crisis in Saskatoon. Just two days ago, the City of Saskatoon's Planning, Development and Community Services Committee approved a request from the Saskatoon Tribal Council to lease a city-owned space for a temporary homeless shelter in downtown Saskatoon. Morgan and the Saskatoon Fire Department played an important role in making this happen. In the second part of our conversation, Morgan explains why it's so important to not only work with community leaders, but to actually speak with people living on the street to better understand their needs. You'll also hear Yvonne share why this work means so much to her. Let's pick up our conversation with Morgan discussing how his role as chief has changed in the past two years. Of course, during COVID, so many things uh, elevated and there was huge impacts to our community. And and when there's different events or incidents or something like a pandemic, uh, the impact on the vulnerable sector is even greater. The largest impacts of these kinds of things are always ended up end up being the, for those uh, on those that are have the most challenges in life, and so you know uh, pre-summer um, through some discussions with uh, leadership at City Hall and with the mayor, and it was determined that um, that I could start to play a little different role with my job in terms of uh, looking to get a better understanding of what's really going on in our community. And so what I started to do was reach out to, and it was really around safety and wellness in the downtown. That's where it started. And so I quickly learned, though, it was much beyond the downtown. And in talking with the business community, with, with uh, provincial ministries, with uh, civic leaders, with the um, different community-based organizations, I was learning so much that everyone's trying to do the right thing. And, but, you know, I, as, as I listened to everyone and I just thought there's, we could maybe do something a little differently. And so at, what that led me to do was to start spending um, regular time talking to the people that are impacted. And so those that are homeless, those that have inadequate housing, those that have addictions and mental health concerns. And that was so valuable for me to better understand. And, you know, Chief Raymer talks about trust and relationships and um, that, that allowed me to gain a lot of people's trust and have a relationship with them in the community. And they were very open with me, the vulnerable sector, about the challenges that they're facing. So we, we've, uh, 
what we've been doing is um, we've been working with uh, all these different organizations and, and uh, the provincial ministries, as I said, and we've really been trying to be, have a, a more coordinated approach. And I, I think we've had huge success. Your time talking to Yvonne today, uh, her describing the work we've been doing, there've been a lot of positive outcomes. And, and it has been because of our coordinated collaborative approach. And, and really, she talked about this framework of emergency management and an incident command. It's what the fire service follows and emergency services. But that framework works in every aspect of life. And so uh, in terms of what we've done now is it wasn't, uh, well, it is an emergency. We have a crisis in our community and a crisis across Canada. But it, it, it's, it's a, a long-term impact and event that we're able to coordinate now. And we're seeing positive outcomes. So many people were trying to do the right thing before. But um, I think we're a little more coordinated now. And so with that, um, you know, I look back to a few years ago here at SFD, there's, there's a National Fire Protection Association is a, a guiding body that has all kinds of standards for the fire service. And there was a new one that's been evolving and being created the last number of years called Community Risk Reduction. And, you know, a few years ago I said to the team, I said, well, we just need to change our name from fire prevention to community risk reduction. <laughs> and it was the right thing to do, but there's a lot of work behind that, of course. <laughs> so we changed our name. But if, if you think about it, like fire prevention, our inspectors, our investigators, that's a piece of our work. But as Yvonne's told you today, that group does so much more. And it is all about community risk reduction. What are the risks in your community? Um, how do we identify those? Uh, what are our, our uh, outcomes that we want to see? And then around that, we plan whether it's training, uh, budgetary, uh, you know, uh, support in terms of staffing, whatever it may be to guide us through this process. So uh, we, we might have done things a little bit backwards. Uh, we changed our name and said, this is where we're going. But um, maybe that was okay, because right now we're seeing um, real positive outcomes. And so with that, you know, we're, I think there's some positive news on the horizon. Uh, you know, we'll, in terms of how we're, uh, first off, helping to get more people into housing. But I know that um, the tribal chief and others, uh, which I'm involved in, is working on a, a shelter model. And um, just because there, there's people that need those extra supports in our community right now. I, I really love how both of you, like, a, a, I think a, a running theme is just the, the power of actually having a conversation with someone who's in a who's in a vulnerable position and just learning where they are at at that moment and maybe how they got there and what they would like to see like there's such power in a conversation yeah you can't assume you can't judge a book by its cover you don't know once you start that conversation what traumas and hurts you might hear what it, there's a lot of people that used to be professionals and went through ptsd and then they got overwhelmed and then circumstances started happening. Maybe they weren't able to manage their finances and then they find themselves homeless. There's a lot of different stories. And so the one thing we've learned is you can't paint the, every individual with the same brush, not at all. We are very different. We have a very diverse 
community and we need to be supportive and we need to listen before we tell them. Power of a conversation, hey? Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, you know, I think about uh, some of the conversations I've had. It's, it's been, uh, well, it's been impactful for me. Um, you know, people that were worked in the health sector, people that worked in the construction industry, people that, you know, had a family and now are living, you know, are by themselves. Uh, you, you have those conversations and you just learn so much from them. And, um, and by having those conversations, it, it, I, th I think, I hope, it, it, it uh, helps that person a little bit too. And the more that we reach out to these people that, that are the most vulnerable in our community, and really do give them a helping hand. I, we, we have a much better chance for success. Yeah. Um, you have both been very generous with your time. Um, so thank you for that. I, I, I'd love to end it in terms of, uh, and Chief, you, you sort of hinted at this a little bit, but how, how will you both know when, when you're, and maybe you're already seeing the results, but how will you know when you're starting to see things, I don't know if turnaround's the right term, but like that you're starting to see positive results? Whoever wants to go first. Why don't you start it Yeah, you asked the most complex question. One thing we started to realize, this isn't short term. So our connection to housing, we have to stay committed. We have to stay in this support mode in order to have that effect. We have short wins. We have people with very simple needs. And that is what I would call the quick wins. But we have some people that they have some very complex needs. And it's going to take a whole community approach in order to support them and make sure that they get towards a better path moving forward and that may take time and what does that time look like I think we have to be patient in that and let them move at their speed and just continue to support and do what we can for them and try to make connections a lot of them have lost connection to their friends their family how do you build that connection back so if they make a connection or a relationship with the fire chief or with myself or my team or with a firefighter and that's who they trust that's the first line of relationship but how do we build on that how do we get them back connected to to friends and support and some people don't have family and friends so you've asked a really complex question I really can't answer maybe the fire chief can because maybe he's got an idea but we are committed to this it is connected to our work around housing and property maintenance so we'll continue to have those conversations and continue to offer support and just try to track where we're able to get those quick wins and then anybody with more complex needs reaching out to those agencies and just connecting with them to see their feedback as well as the feedback from the individuals that we're trying to support. May I ask you one more complex question? For sure. What, it's clear that this work means so much to you and you're so passionate about it. What, where does that passion come from? That's a great question that I probably could write a book on. I have a pretty complex upbringing myself. I had a very supportive family, but it wasn't always easy. Um, I had a sibling who probably could have ended up homeless herself. She was a single mom of four kids. I watched her struggle. I didn't have to struggle like that, but I did watch her struggle and worry. And, you know, now she's doing great, but it, it took support from her family. Not everybody has that support and not everybody gets moving forward to where you can be successful. And it's a slippery slope and you can go either way without support. Thank you. Chief, when, when will you know that, that you're starting to see some results, whether it's, it's, the, it's the quick wins or, or the, the kind of the long game? So, yeah, that's a great question because I think the, the work that Yvonne's group's been so focused on is seeing those, it's actually beyond quick wins. It's been some real positives. Um, with that, uh, an, another piece to this is 
not just the, it's the relationships of the people that are going to be part of changing this long term. So, for example, uh, some of the groups that Yvonne spoke to, whether it's Sawaya Toten, Salvation Army, uh, Ministry of Social Services, Health, um, of ourselves and police being part of this, we're, we're all part of this approach that is making a difference. But another important piece is that, that relationship. For example, with the Ministry of Social Services, through, through a lot of discussions and relationship building, um, we're learning to understand each other's role better and we're, we're learning that uh, some of what's in place today that we can maybe adjust to make it actually better for the community. And so we've seen some, some uh, great conversation there and we've seen some, some changes to better support the community. And I think for the, for the longer term, as we continue to build on that, and, and uh, really have that open dialogue, the outcomes are gonna become, uh, we'll see much greater success. We'll see a program that's put in place where the stakeholders are all levels of government and within the community, those organizations that support the community, where, where uh, we will, uh, will we end homelessness? Likely not but our community will be very supported and we will have a program that when we do find homelessness, these pockets of tents, encampments, temporary shelters, whatever it may be, that coordinated approach will go in, we will make a difference and we will help these people. And I, the, it's gonna happen for sure. We are on that track. It's just, it's gonna take a bit of time for us to just find our way together and and really see long-term solutions thank you both so much i i've i've learned so much um you know listening listening to you and and i i so admire the work that you and your colleagues are doing in the community because it's it's such an important issue and and i think it's one that um i i didn't fully understand until today in terms of the, the important role that you and your colleagues play so thank you so much oh thanks for having us it was a pleasure yeah, thank you so much, Eric. It was great. You've been listening to Episode 4, Season 4 of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. Thank you again to Yvonne Raymer and Morgan Hackle for being so generous with their time and appearing on the podcast. You can follow and listen to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yxeunderground.com, or wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you will see some wonderful photos of Yvonne and Morgan, taken by my friend and Saskatoon photographer, Rana Andres. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. I want to thank the team at Danger Dynamite for maintaining the website, and I also want to thank my cousin Andrew Dixon for creating the original theme music for the podcast. And a big thank you to all of you for the support these past few months when it comes to buying YXC Underground swag like sweaters and water bottles. It, it really does mean a lot to receive this kind of support, and I am so excited that we were able to raise $700 for Out Saskatoon's Pride Home just on water bottle sales. So thank you very much. 
Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that this interview was recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Have a wonderful and safe holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.